Hey everyone, this is Kurt Franken with Leading Saints. And before we jump into this week's episode, I want to make sure we announce two important events. First one, on November 16th, 2019, we are having our annual Lead- Leading Saints Live event in uh, on the campus of uh, Solid Community College Miller Campus, which is in Sandy, Utah. It's on a Saturday, November 16th, starting about roughly about 8 o'clock in the morning until about 4.30. We're having five phenomenal speakers, including... Jody Moore, Dan Duckworth, Wendy Ulrich, Anthony Sweat, and myself. And we will uh, jump into, these are individuals who've been on the podcast and been very popular on the podcast. And so come listen to them live. And if you're not available to come, if you're not in Utah to available to attend in person, uh, you won't get all of the content, but you'll get most of it as we are going to stream it online so that you can access it. But you still need to register. So if you go to leadingsaints.org, right there on the homepage, you'll see an obvious link to click on and register for this event. We only have about 200 seats in this auditorium, and so it is most likely going to fill up. We're about halfway there. So jump in, grab your seat, or watch online. The second thing I need to announce is the 2020 Leading Saints Church History Tour, which begins on July 16th. It's a nine-day tour starting in Hilcomora or starting at the Hill Camorra, and then we're going all the way to Kansas City, Missouri, uh, where it will end. And uh, everything between there, at least a lot of the historical church sites will be be hitting. Everything from, just going down the list here, the Sacred Grove, the Susquehanna River site, John Johnson Farm, Kirtland Temple, Newell K. Whitney Store, Carthage Jail, Historic Nauvoo, Nauvoo Temple, of course, and man, Adam on Diamond, it goes on and on. You can see all the itinerary and the details and how to register at leadingsaints.org slash tour. Now, this is filling up. The seat is more, or the uh, bus is more than half full. So I think there's around 20 or less seats left. So if you are wanting to be a part of this nine-day adventure with me, my wife, and, and others in the Leading Saints community, go to leadingsaints.org slash tour. To register, it would be so cool to hang out with you for nine days, and we're going to talk leadership. We're going to emphasize different leadership aspects of, of church history throughout the tour, and it is going to be awesome. So, leadingsaints.org slash tour. Hey, we're back for another episode of the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankham, your host. Now, if you're new to Leading Saints, uh, this is a podcast where we talk about how we as Latter-day Saints can be better prepared to lead, whether that's in an official calling or just in life or your community, but we focus on leadership. Now, this is another episode of the segment we call How I Lead, and we've done probably hundreds of these types of episodes, or at least over 100, where we talk with everyday leaders uh, in different parts of the world and just ask them in whatever calling they're in, hey, how is it you go about leading? And this episode is going to be focused on the calling of Relief Society President. And we have a Relief Society President from California, Mary Alice Hatch and also a Stake Relief Society president from Frankfurt, Germany, Seuss Graham. And so this is, uh, you'll hear two segments. First, we'll hear from Mary Alice, uh, who also, I must add, has a fantastic new podcast called What Now? And you can subscribe to it at uh, the same place where you have subscribed to this. And also find her on all, uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook, those types of things. But fantastic podcast related to being a Latter-day Saint. And then we talk with Seuss Graham, who's a Stake Relief Society president over in Frankfurt. And she talks about a time where uh, she was in a presidency of, well, her counselors, there wasn't like a common language among them. And so it was quite interesting to hear how she went about uh, communicating. And uh, it's, I just love hearing about these international callings that make it so different than uh, maybe what you find on the Wasatch Front. 
So I think you'll enjoy it and be sure to share this with another Relief Society president that you know. So here's my interview with first Mary Alice Hatch, and then we'll hear from Seuss Graham. Today, I'm sitting down at the dining room table with Mary Alice Hatch. How are you, Mary Alice? I'm great. Thank Good. you for having me. Now, where you're from California, but you find yourself here in, in Utah, and that's where we're meeting. So why are... Well, how does that work? Okay. So I'm in Utah because we have a little condo in Park City. We have a sister that lives here in Park City, Utah. And my two children are in school at BYU and UVU. Cool. So I'm in town a lot more these days. Yeah. And uh, you got to visit them, keep in touch, maybe. Yeah, I got to keep in touch. Help them out with their laundry every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're monitoring. Yeah. We're checking things out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we have a new freshman. We're making sure everything goes okay first. That's awesome. Yeah. And are you usually from California? No, I am from Potomac, Maryland, wow. born and raised. Cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, what what brought you to California? Maybe your did your husband's job take you out west? No, actually, that's an interesting story. So my son is the one who motivated that move, and he was really wanting more friends in the church. And back east, we were in Wellesley, Massachusetts. We raised our kids there for seventeen years. Mm-hmm. And our son was just having a bit of a struggle in high school just because there are no members. Mm -hmm. He's an excellent athlete, very popular, but you get to the point where your friends are drinking and partying every weekend. And if you're not going to do that, then you're home with your parents hanging out and there aren't really Mormon friends. So Mm. that was a real big challenge for him. So he petitioned us to move. And at first I said, you have got to be kidding me. Yeah. I'm not moving to California. Is like, that where he wanted to move? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, what kid doesn't want to live in California? Yeah, yeah. By the beach and all these cool, good looking kids. And he's a pretty cute kid himself and he surfs and does all that stuff. And uh-huh. he met some kids at EFY and they invited him out to California after EFY. And he went to a dance with 400 kids. I mean, nothing he had experienced. Yeah, that's out of this world. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And just thought, okay, this is for me. I want this in my life and really begged us to move there. So, you know, it was a good intention and he wanted something good in his life. And I was worried about him. Yeah. And so I went to San Clemente. Uh, He had a couple of friends from EFY that were there and we went to a football game and checked it out and he integrated immediately. And I went home after that trip for two days and just told my husband, I, I think we need to consider this. And so we went to the temple and we prayed about it. And we both had a very strong impression we had to leave immediately. And so my husband stayed for six months to finish his contract with his work. And I moved out with Trevin and we bought a house. And two months later, we were living there. Wow. Just like that. Yeah, it was crazy. And And, anyone who knows me who's listening to this (laughs) knows that is so not my personality. (laughs) I'm a total control freak. I'm very organized. But, you know, when your child's life is hanging in the balance, their testimony is hanging in the balance, you'll do anything for that. Yeah. I've, I've heard of several families where they've made some serious decisions, especially where they live, because maybe they have teenagers or, or people in that develop or uh, kids in that developmental phase that, yeah. you know, we if it takes a drastic measure to to put them in a better situation, then I think every every parent would do that. Yes. If you're able to do it, why <clears throat> wouldn't you do it? Yeah. Right. I mean, the downside would be him potentially leaving the church. Yeah. And we don't want that. Yeah. Right? I mean, we spent our whole life fostering the program. So, but it was an excellent move for us. And at first it was hard for me because I was kind of a single parent for six months. And Hmm. that was hard. And my husband wasn't able to come a lot back and forth. And so I... 
It was a struggle for me because I didn't want to move. Mm-hmm. I knew I had to move for him, but I had a lot of very strong friendships. My sister lived there. I had family close by and I really didn't want to move. And so for six months, it was really hard for me. And then after about six months, I just you know, made the effort to invite people over every Sunday after church. And I integrated myself Hmm. and I got to know people. And luckily I have a personality that enjoys doing that, but it wasn't necessarily easy, but I did it and I met so many amazing people and I love it there now. Yeah. 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 And I love that approach that when you move into a new area, the more proactive you are, you know, we sometimes get to new area and kind of wait for people that are established there to come approach us. Yes. But you have to be proactive. You have to be proactive. And that will integrate you further, right? Which has led to you now, you've been there a few years and now you're the Relief Study president, right? (laughs) Oh, I haven't even lived there three years. What's happening? (laughs) How do they know who I am? (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. So, and you've recently started a a podcast uh, yourself. You've jumped into this this arena of podcasting, which... uh, I have. It's, it's fun, right? It's so fun. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's so fun. fun. Yeah. It's so fun. So we started a podcast called What Now? And it was motivated by my son who went on a mission for about five weeks. The same son that got you to California. Son that got us to California. And he actually wouldn't have even considered going on a mission if we hadn't moved to California. Wow. But he had some wonderful friends there that encouraged him to go. And he took that leap of faith and it is a leap of faith. It was still a pretty tough decision for him, even with that friend encouragement. It was, but he wanted to do it. He didn't feel pressure from us. He wanted to do it. You know, it was on him. It was his decision. And so he said he wanted to do it. Great. You know, he got his ducks in a row and he met with the state president, the bishop, and, you know, did what he needed to do to launch himself on a mission. He loved MTC, but he didn't like the isolation of the mission environment. Hmm. And that just did not speak to him and how he wanted to share the gospel. Yeah. And where was he called so, to serve? Colorado Springs. Oh, Colorado Springs. Okay. So he decided to come home. And when he came home, it was very difficult for me. And I really didn't know how to react or what resources to go to. Yeah. And I was really depressed and really sad about this hope that I had had for him and what the mission could do for his life. Yeah. So tell us that story. Like how many, how many months out was he when, did you get a phone call or how did that unfold? I did. I got a phone call and I got a phone call about 10 days into his mission in Colorado Springs. So he went to three weeks in the MTC gotcha. mm-hmm. and then 10 days in, I get a phone call from him with this pleading, begging voice on the other end to leave. And so I was trying to unwrap that a little bit, you know, what's going on, what's happening, this before they could call home. Mm-hmm. So I knew when on my cell phone, I see Colorado Springs come up. Your heart drops. My heart dropped, really. Yeah. Like I, I literally could not answer the phone. Ugh. I was paralyzed. Yeah. I just sat there looking at it and thinking. They don't call don't randomly for good news, right? Call. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. was so scared on what was on the other end of that phone call. Ugh. And I did swipe and accept, and I just heard my son like crying, pleading with me to leave. And he is not a kid that's like that. I mean, he is positive, happy. Everyone that knows him, he's got a million friends, happy, never complains. I, I just, it was so unusual to see him in such an emotional state like that. And he just felt so isolated, so stifled, so incapable of being himself. And 
He's a total extrovert, but he wasn't allowed to share the gospel in the way he wanted to. He's like an incredible basketball player and can do a double gainer backflip on a trampoline. And he can do all these crazy bowls on a skateboard. I mean, he can do really amazing stuff. And on his mission, he just wasn't allowed to even do like a kickflip and show these kids he's cool. So they'll listen to him. You know, he just wasn't allowed to do anything. And that rigidity of the mission really came down on him. That's a good word. The rigidity of the mission. And so he just felt like, I want to come home and share it in my own way. And so, you know, of course, we tried to talk him into staying. And, you know, of course, everyone feels this way, right? It's hard. And was he like with the mission prison when he called or did he just call randomly from his own apartment? He he called randomly from his apartment. Yeah. And then later I had a call with the mission president. So, of course, I said, okay, well, let me talk to your mission president. I hang up, call his mission president. What is happening? Yeah. And he just said, he's just so filled with anxiety here and he's not even sleeping. He's so stressed out. I don't know if this is a fit for him. And, and so I, you know, called my son back and I just said, you know, if this is something you want to do, then I respect that, you know, this is voluntary service, you know? And so he, he, I mean, there was no way of talking him out of it. He was coming home. Yeah. So I, I just had to accept it. And at that point I said, I'm going to accept this. Because he can come home and everyone can be miserable, or he can come home and we can love him. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's not it's a choice, right? I love about. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a certain way, you know? Yeah. When, yeah. It's not the old school, like my parents, where like you come home in a coffin if you come home. Yeah. That's, like that's, that's a not helpful. Brutal, yeah. Brutal. <laughs> and there are some people that said that to me when he was thinking of coming home. I mean, they had said that to their kids. Mm. Like, if you go, you're not coming home. Yeah. And I just thought that goes against our agency that goes against everything we believe in. Yeah. Right? He has agency. He can leave if he doesn't feel like this is something that's healthy for him mentally. Fine. He's a great person. You know, and since he's come home, he's gone and splits with the missionaries and he's brought his non-member friends to church and he's an incredibly loving, kind, Christ-like person. Yeah. So so, so when he did come home, how was that transition for him? Was it immediately sort of that anxiety dissipated or or how was it for Yes, him? immediately. Yeah. Oh, that's Immediately. Great. He came home. He was never happier. He was ecstatic to be home. You know, he did have a couple weird situations with a couple people who weren't as accepting of him coming home. And I talked to him about that and just said, you will run into that your whole life, mm-hmm. sadly. Like this is a culture that expects a two-year mission. And if you don't fulfill it, people assume the worst. But you know why you came home and you love the gospel and you're a great loving Christ-like person. So you just own it. If someone asks you about it, you say, yeah, I came home and it was a great decision for me. Yeah. yeah I love know? that. I think Elder Hollins mentioned something that uh, doesn't matter how long you serve yes. or whether you come home really, you served a mission. Right? Yes. And in our podcast about early return missionaries, I gave that quote oh, cool. from Elder Holland. You know, it doesn't matter how long you served, you served a mission. And when someone asks you if you went on a mission, even if you went for two weeks, you say, yes, I served a mission. You don't have to quantify it. You just say, yes, that's, I served a mission. Yeah. It's empowering to be able to do that. It is for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, So take me from that. Obviously that wasn't just a a moment or a a flash in the pan. That was a a process you went through as a family. So where where do you go from that thinking, I'm going to start a podcast and talk about some of these issues. How does that work? Great question. So to be honest, I was in a depression for four months. I didn't really want to leave the house because everyone was asking me about it. And they're trying to be supportive and kind, 
but I just didn't want to face it. And every time I left the house, I'd see someone I knew and I just didn't want to talk about it. And then my really good friend, Christian Michael, who I do the podcast with, she's my co-host. We are very good friends and we were walking on the beach and she had gone back to school to take a refresher course in broadcasting. And one of her classes was to do a fake podcast. A fake podcast. (laughs) I think I'm still doing a fake podcast. (laughs) Right? Feels like it. And then... She just said, how about you do a fake podcast with me and we do it about like your son coming home from his mission and the culture and what that looks like. And I thought, gosh, that's a really good idea. You know, maybe we do a fake podcast. Let's do that. Uh And so we both thought about people who could be on a panel. We do like a panel discussion and we'd mix in commercials and it would be legit, you know, like for the fake podcast. Right, right. It it would appear legit, right? (laughs) Right, it would appear legit. (laughs) And then we did it and we thought, this is really legit. Like we listen to it. We send it to friends and family. They're like, (laughs) everyone's like, so when are you putting this on iTunes? And we thought, well, this is a fake podcast. This isn't even real. They said, (laughs) is there a fake iTunes we could put on? (laughs) (laughs) And then I went to Christian. I'm like, why can't this be a real podcast? Let's do it. Why not? Let's just see where it goes. So, you know, two months later, we have almost a thousand listens. On that's podcast. great. That's great. So it's really exciting to see where it's gone. So we decided, okay, we'll do another one. And maybe we do it on more cultural stigma in the church, because that seems to be something that isn't addressed very openly mm-hmm. and in a positive way. Right. That was our thing. Like we want to quote general authorities. We want to mimic what the church is doing. We want to parallel what they're doing. Yeah. You know, we don't want to Because it can get really negative in some so of these things. Yeah. negative. Yeah. And most people who have this kind of experience, they go really negative and dark and they mm-hmm. attack the church. And we did not want to do that. We wanted it to be positive and to create really good understanding and hope and healing for people and to be a, a really good platform for people to turn to. So our next one was the single perspective in a family-centered church. And we've had almost... 500 listens for mm. that. And ju- that was just released three weeks ago. Wow. <laughs> and we just released today our second part to that. And it's just been really exciting to see how positive people have been. They're waiting to hear something like this. They want to weigh in on it. They're excited we're talking about it. And so we were on the iTunes podcast app and it's What Now, Michael and Hatch. You can search that. And we're also on Spotify. And it's just been a really great ride. It's cool. Really fun. So any, uh, what, what are some future uh, topics that you hope to, to tackle? Well, actually, now that you asked, yeah. tonight I'm going to BYU to interview a bunch of young return missionaries who are 20 and just got off their missions about the dating culture oh, in Utah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and they were not raised in Utah and not really familiar with the culture they are two identical twin boys, and their father is a medical doctor in the Air Force in Germany. So they were partly raised in Germany and traveled all across the world. And so they are not used to this Utah culture that they're experiencing huh. here. And the other young man, he is originally from Hawaii, Polynesian, and moved all over because his father's in college football. So they're always moving around into different places, and they're in Texas now. Huh. So, you know, he's never really had that full dating Utah cultural experience. So for these boys, I'm just talking to them over breakfast the other day, and they're all saying all these crazy things about what they're experiencing. And they're like, it's so weird. Like, we're not used to this culture. What is this place? Yeah. yeah. And so every time they're talking to me, I'm thinking, I should be recording this. This is amazing. (laughs) 
And so I decided, yes, I'm going to do a podcast about the dating culture in our church. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. So, so that's it's not just a Utah dating culture, but all, you'll touch on things. Just the culture of our church. Yeah. 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 Utah specifically, because that's what they're in right now. But it's just the culture as a whole. These <sighs> kids get married four years younger than the national average. Yeah. And so about 22 is the national average for our Mormon kids. Yeah. It's 26 to 28 for the non-faith people. So it's interesting. They're getting married young. They're doing more studies on it, actually. And the divorce rate, you're 50% more likely to be divorced if you're married under 25. Hmm. So that's a concerning statistic. Yeah. So I thought, well, we should probably discuss this. Like, why are these kids getting married so young? Why did they feel the pressure from the culture to get married mm -hmm. so young? Because these boys are. I mean, they're, you know, dating girls now. And after a month, she's like talking marriage. And they're thinking, I'm just dating you. Mm -hmm. I just got off my mission. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I haven't touched a girl in two years. Yeah. <laughs> I want to date other people. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. But wow. we're touching on that. We're touching on depression, the cultural stigma around depression. We're going to interview Jane Johnson, who has agreed to yeah, interview Yeah, I've interviewed us. her. She's great. She's yeah. fabulous. Yeah. She's a good friend from Boston. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we have just a few of Rob Farrell. Oh, yeah. We're going to interview He's, him. He's he needs fantastic. his own podcast. Let's be honest. He does. All right. He does. I just about handed my podcast over. Just, just take it. You, Isn't he phenomenal? He's great. Yeah. Oh, so we're going to He's our most downloaded that. ever on our, on our podcast. So, really? Yep. Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah. I'm a total fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he'll be on one of our podcasts coming up. So we have a good lineup. Yeah. That's yeah. good. And I love the fact that, I mean, the, uh, the overall approach is to sort of look at our culture, good or bad, and let's just talk about it, yeah. you know, not in a negative tone, right. but just take it for what it is and see if we can approve upon it. And a lot of time people, you know, you hear a lot of talk about uh, you know, our culture and that's not doctrine, it's culture. And a lot of people think, well, what are we supposed to do about it? And often I think, well, we just have to point at it and talk about it. And I it's agree. not that we have the answer or, you know, the, the answer of how we need to do things, but if we can just start a dialogue around it, some ideas will come to the surface. Right? I agree. Yeah. Totally. So this is great. Totally. Well, I mean, the church is really based on councils, yeah. right? Open discussion, councils. We do ward council. We do all sorts of councils in the church. And I feel like the podcast is another platform for a council. Yeah. We're just bringing things to the surface and talking about it. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, and people can find that this, wherever they're probably listening to this podcast, right? They can search yeah. for- iTunes podcast, Spotify. You just search What Now, Michael and Hatch. Cool. Awesome. And, and you'll see us, our images pop up. There you are. There yeah. you are. Cool. Well, let's uh, shift a little bit because you, like you mentioned, you're, you've had opportunity to serve as a relief society president at, at this current time. And you've been in some, was it a stake relief society presidency? Stake relief society prior to my relief society calling I have right now. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. So, and you said you've, you've really enjoyed your call as a relief society president. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love the ministering aspect of it. I love being able to connect with the sisters. I love being able to help. You know, yeah. you really are in tune with the Lord in a calling like this, because you do have to lean on the Lord. You really have to know what he needs, what he wants me to do, who he wants me to talk to, how he wants me to help them. And I feel like I have to turn to the Lord a lot more than I did before this yeah. calling. And have you been a relief society president before or was this sort of your first take on it all? No, I have not. I was the first counselor in two relief society presidencies, okay. but I was never relief society president until right now. Okay. So when you get when you got called, you know, you walk out of the, the bishop's office, I imagine, and you're carrying this weight <laughs> with you. Like where where did you even begin or what processes did you, did you go through that maybe stand out in your experience? Well, it's interesting you refer to it as a weight because to be honest, I didn't feel that. Oh, good. 
And when I walked out, I had had a very strong confirmation when I was meeting with the bishop with my husband that this is exactly what I needed to be doing and that I was the right person at that time to be doing it and that the Lord would totally sustain me. Hmm. I just felt that. And I felt very confident in accepting that calling because I love the Lord and I know He loves all of us. Yeah. And I know He'll help me. So, yeah. So you were, you felt sort of that motivation, that yes. momentum from yeah, the start. Yeah, that momentum. That's a good word. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And any particular process you went through as far as choosing counselors, did they come quite quickly or did you have to work for those names? Yeah. So it's interesting you ask that because in, I've been a young women's president, I've been on, you know, other leadership roles and it's been fairly easy for me to pick a presidency. But in this particular Relief Society presidency calling, I felt, that I had to be much more thoughtful about it and much more prayerful about it because I am really helping families in our ward in a significant way Mm -hmm. and working with the bishop in a significant way. I mean, you're almost like a companion to the bishop in the Relief Society presidency because you're helping so much with the welfare needs. You're helping so much with everything that he's trying to manage as well. So I was really thoughtful about it. I had a list of names. I thought about it for about 10 days. And then I got called to be a temple ordinance worker the Wednesday before I was called to be the release study president. (laughs) (laughs) They're obviously not comparing notes. And I'm like, (laughs) what is happening here? And then, but I found that it was really helpful to me in picking my counselors because I had finished my first shift. I went to my car, I opened the directory on LDS tools, and I was scrolling down the directory. And I had, you know, these names in my mind of who I thought would be just perfect, right? And I just felt this one name jumped literally out of my iPhone at me off this directory. And you need to have her. She has to be your counselor. Hmm. I don't even know her. Hmm. Like I maybe have talked to her two seconds once at church or something. Like I really didn't even know who she was. But I just kept being told, no, she's got to be in your presidency. So, you know, I scratched that second counselor name off that I had and put her name (laughs) in. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. That had never happened to me before. And it just taught me that the closer and more in tune I was to the Spirit serving in the temple brought me closer to the Lord and what His initiative was and who He wanted on His team. And it wasn't me. It was Him picking. And so I went to the bishop and I just said, okay, well, these are the names I have and I really don't know who this second counselor is, but the Lord told me it needs to be her. So, And He's been in that ward years, decades. So He said, oh, she's fantastic. You picked an amazing person. That's a great fit. So it's neat how that works out. And so you felt definitely some direction there. Totally. Nice. Yeah. And then any, any, uh, as you got started, you know, you had to set apart and off you go. I mean, were there any hiccups that you didn't uh, expect to, to, to come? Not yet. Oh, good. I've only been in <laughs> since June. <laughs> nice. And nice. it's October. <laughs> nice. Well, I know that you're, um, I'm sure you drop on a lot of your former experience in presidencies or, you know, in the Young Women's Program and, and mm-hmm. uh, some of those leadership principles. And, and so, I asked you to maybe think about a few that you could share just from your perspective as far as how you lead and how you go about effectively connecting and, and leading in these ways. So the first one you said is uh, involves delegation and empowerment. Yes. Speak to us about that. Yes. So I feel like the most effective leaders I've worked with in Callings and other Relief Society presidents I worked with prior to me being president and other young women's presidents I worked with, I felt the best presidents were the ones that allowed the presidency to be empowered. They delegated to them. They trusted them to do their calling. They didn't try to control the situation. 
And I've been in one situation where the president tried to control everything and was so overwhelmed and stressed out and it was so dysfunctional. Yeah. You just I, try and stay out of her way, right? Like, yeah. I just thought, oh my gosh, I don't even want to be here. She doesn't even need me. Yeah. What am I doing here? We're not yeah. even having meetings. I think most people in leadership have felt that at some point, like, why Why are we even here helping you when you're doing it all? Yes. Yeah. But I didn't understand that because she called me because she felt I was capable, but she wasn't allowing me to be capable, mm-hmm. right? So I learned from that, that you know, if I'm going to be really thoughtful and mindful and prayerful about who my leadership is, I need to trust them. Mm-hmm right? The Lord trusts them. He put them in the forefront of my mind. I selected them. So I'm going to empower them and allow them to be the leaders they're meant to be. Yeah. So, so what does that look like day to day? Any example come to mind or, or as far as how you actually empower them so they feel that empowerment? Yeah. So I have a really great first and second counselor and we are doing our additional meeting right now. And I just allowed her to take the reins. I didn't tell her what to do. I didn't tell her what day or what time or who to pick or what to do. I just let her do it. Mm -hmm. I know she's capable. She's got connections with really interesting ideas. And I loved what she was coming up with at our meeting. And I didn't want to stifle it by telling her what to do. I just allowed her to do it. And she set up two really amazing additional meetings. I didn't need to control it. You know what I mean? So And, you know, my other counselor, she's in charge of teachers. And I just said, I just said, I trust you to do your job, you know? And I think when you empower people and let them know you trust them to take the reins, they do it most of the time. Yeah. And I think it's so helpful that you actually articulate those words. I, I trust you to do your job. So run with it like that, that hearing that empowers them rather than just assuming like, well, you do this and, but really articulating that trust is motivating and helpful for them. Yeah. 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 And then the, the other uh, tricky thing when you're in that delegation and empowering mode is that maybe they do take in a direction that you're not comfortable with and you're sort of, it, it's tempting to step in and be like, well, let's, let's do it this way, you know, and that's only going to, yeah. uh, you know, diminish them further, right? Yeah. And so I have a pretty good approach to that because I've dealt with a lot of difficult people in my life, <laughs> sadly, <laughs> but just being friendly about it, not... Uh-huh derogatory and attacking them, yeah. but just saying, you know, what do you think about this? I, I kind of see this happening. Do you see that happening? Uh-huh. You know, asking questions to them instead of telling them what they're doing wrong, yeah. asking them what they see might be something that needs to change. Or do you sense this? Do you see it going in this direction? I'm kind of seeing this. Do you see that too? Yeah. You know, so you're giving them a voice. You're not just commanding them to change. Yeah. You know? And I love that you're you're also not stepping so far back that uh, you're not even going to bring up these these uh, potential issues that you see coming. You're you're going to bring them up, and but again, you're yeah. not in there. Well, no, we're not going to do that because that'll happen. So we're going to do it this way. You're still giving them the that autonomy the to, to make the decision. To right? Yeah, cool. yeah, because that's probably the worst thing you can do when people start feeling like they're being controlled. Yeah, they go the opposite direction. Yeah. Right, they get ticked. <laughs> Maybe you felt this with your teenagers, or, yes. or when, when they were teenagers. Yes, right? yes. <laughs> so cool. So. Next principle you said is uh, maintaining composure. I love this. I love when uh, people share principles that nobody's ever mentioned before. And so this was this is one of them. Let's hear it. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Okay, so well, a presidency members will most likely mirror what they see their leader doing. I know. So I just think some of the best leaders I've worked with remain composed. When something crazy happens or no one shows up to volunteer for this thing where you need 50 volunteers, it's easy to kind of freak out and mm-hmm. panic. And then your presidency will freak out and panic. Yeah. And how does that benefit anybody? Right. Right. I mean, I think some of the best leaders are level-headed in crisis. 
you know, and just, and then they model it for their presidency that it's going to be okay. It's like when the plane's going down and the flight attendant is calm, cool, and collected, you yeah. kind of want to believe her. I was going to mention <laughs> that. This is the, the flight attendant dynamic that right? I, I've flown a lot. And sometimes you get, you're in a crazy flight and y'all always sort of look at the flight yeah. attendant like, okay, they don't look nervous. We're probably okay. Yeah. She's right? panicking, white knuckled and crying. Yeah. Then you're going to be a little worried. Yeah. Yeah, then you can freak out, right? <laughs> but, you know, if she's composed and smiling and, you know, on the microphone, calmly talking, then you think, okay, things are probably going to be okay. Yeah, right. So, and I think especially, you know, going back to your your son's experience, like a leader, a bishop or a, a young men's president, elder scorn president, in that dynamic, the best thing they can do is just be like, well, this isn't a problem. Mm-hmm. He's home and we're going to love him and, you know, maintain that composure rather yeah. than like, oh boy, okay, we need to... Make sure we need visitors over there every every night of the week, and let's you know let's freak out about this because we, we you know we got to save them right. Yeah, that can come with a lot of good intention, but if we just step back and just maintain composure and say you know it'll be fine, it'll work out. He wins in the end. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. And a sense of humor. A sense of humor. You've got to have a sense of humor because <laughs> sometimes things are really crazy, and you're uh-huh. like, "This is crazy." Yeah. <laughs> then, let's just let's just stop for a minute and and look at the burning how building. Insane the situation is. <laughs> And everyone knows it is. Yeah. And then they all start laughing and that diffuses so much tension. Yeah. Laughter and being able to joke about something, not in a negative way or, you know, belligerent way, but, you know, just recognizing the situation for what it is. Yeah. You know, and sometimes that can be just hysterical. Yeah. When you're hyster- feeling like being hysterical, you look at that situation, you're like, this is crazy. Yeah. And my mind goes to like, you talk about, you know, delegation and, and empowering people that oftentimes there may be an activity or a project that just takes a left turn and just crashes and burns. And for that leader, rather than to say, well, let's go through what we, what we could have done about it, just to be like, well, that was crazy. We had, uh, <laughs> we had food for a hundred people and three came like, wow, that's nuts. Yeah. You know, right. And that yeah. just lightens the mood a little bit. Totally. Yeah. Totally. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Anything else is around maintaining composure or, or having a sense of humor we haven't uh, hit on? Does that cover it pretty well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's good. Cool. Uh, next one is staying humble and going to the Lord. Yeah. So we touched on that a little bit earlier, just how when I went to pick out my presidency, I was super mindful of the importance of that and took it to the temple, took it to the Lord and wasn't thinking, oh, I got picked as release study president. So I'm pretty awesome and I can pick, (laughs) you know, whoever I want, you know, and that's kind of a dangerous place to go. You always want to stay humble. You always want to know that the Lord's in charge and he is, it's his gospel Mm -hmm. and he's going to direct it exactly how he wants it to be. And he's counting on us to be in tune with the spirit. And if you're not humble, you can't be, Mm -hmm. you know, I just find at certain times in my life where I wasn't as humble, I wasn't as in tune with the spirit and I wasn't able to help as many people. And now that, you know, I've been, been humbled, compelled to be humble many times in my (laughs) life and that's not fun. (laughs) <laughs> but it teaches you that when you are humble, that you are more receptive to the spirit. And, you know, we have a congregation we have to look out for, and there are some real needs in our ward. And I want to know how to help these people in a genuine way. And it's not just the women, it's their families, Yeah, you know, their children, their spouses, and, you know, the way we interact with them and help them affects their whole family. Because the mother really is the heart of the home. And if things aren't going well there, it disrupts the family. So we have a really important role in the ward to reach out to the Lord, to know how to help his kids. Yeah. So are there any routines or habits you have in place that help you 
kind of getting that that humble cadence a little bit more or is it just maintaining that that message and everything you do? I think it's just the basics, right? I mean, it's nothing earth shaking. It's just, you know, getting up. I do my come follow me in the morning. I do a little passage, you know, it's uh-huh. broken into little paragraphs. Yeah. I kind of do a little paragraph and read and just kind of think about it, look up the extra scriptures they tell me to do and and just kind of be prayerful about my day. So it's nothing major, but those little things in my life, when I hadn't done that, it was so much easier for me to distance myself from things. But just doing those little simple tasks really do keep me connected to the Spirit. Yeah, And that's what it's really all about at the end of the day, being connected to the Spirit or living your life in such a way that you can always be connected to the Spirit. Yeah, Because it's really easy to drift. Yeah. It's easy to get casual, really. I think that's Satan's greatest tool is complacency and being casual. Yeah. So I have to make myself do it every day. It's not like it comes naturally to me. I consciously have to make myself do it. And the days that I don't do it, I don't feel as good. So Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. Anything about your the the demographics of your ward, the area, anything unique about your ward that makes your service as early site present unique? So that's a good question. So Camp Pendleton is in our ward. So we have a large military component hmm. in our ward. So it's the Marine base. And we have a ton of amazing members in that Marine base. So our ward is a big mix of very different people. And then we have what's called the Pier Bowl down by the pier. You have a lot of lower income housing down in there. And then we have really nice gated communities in our neighborhood. So we have a variety of, you know, not impoverished, but lower level, yeah. you know, income and then high, high income. Mm-hmm. And military. So we have a nice blend and we have a big age group too. We have, you know, 96 year olds and 20 year olds, 18 year olds. That's a good diverse group. Huge. Wow. Yeah. So any, any tips as far as that, that military dynamic, you know, uh, their military wives or other women in in the military that is there a unique approach or something to consider when there's more military in your ward? So the military women add a different dynamic to our ward because they are single parents for about six months a year. Their husbands get deployed and it's really tough on them and they need a lot of support. And so it's important they have ministering sisters. It's important that they have a network together as a sisterhood. There are a lot of members on the base and there are a lot of inactive members on the base. So one thing I've done to kind of remedy that is to put together a walking group on the base for all the military mothers so they can all con- connect and get to know each other and be friends and do things together. So I've tried to do a lot of social things. And once a month, what we do is everyone who has a birthday that month, they all come to my house for a birthday breakfast. Oh, wow. And then they can get to know each other. Uh-huh. You know, social is really important because I think a lot of them can be isolated really easily because their spouses are gone. Yeah. And then they're single parents. And that's tough. Yeah. yeah. Especially that when you're a single parent and, you know, for those months, like, the children are, you know, you have to put in double time to mm-hmm. take care of that home. And so those social things can easily just be dismissed. Right. Yeah. But, and I love this. I've been hearing more and more about these, these walkabouts from various wards, like even in Utah, like the last couple of wards I've been into, like they have these walk neighborhood walkabouts. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, it's uh, as far as like activities, we, we sometimes think when we talk about church activities, like, okay, the Relief Society birthday party or the Christmas party, like these larger events, but to me, the most effective ones are these little simple, like the birthday, the, they just come over, everybody in the birthday has that month comes over to your house. Like yeah. that's so simple. I mean, I'm sure it's a lot of work on your end or your your presidency, but 
It's not doesn't have to be this grand, you know, no. budget heavy activity. Just these simple things. Actually, the simpler the better. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Because with the walking group, one time I just had one sister that came. And we had the best conversation. I got to know her. It's almost meant to be, right? Yes. Yeah. And she was struggling. Her husband was deployed and she had this, she's pregnant, so sick. And then she has this two-year-old and Ugh. so much stress and she's doing everything alone. And she had just moved there and she's totally isolated, doesn't know anyone. And my just heart went out to her and she just needed someone to talk to. Yeah. And I thought, I'm so glad it was just she and I, because then I could actually talk to her and help her and... You know, and I don't think that was by accident. Yeah. You know, so sometimes these simple, smaller things really are great. Yeah. And and you keep it simple, but also, you know, I hear, sometimes I hear, I think back when I time as a, a bishop where the Relief Society presently sort of got frustrated when not a ton of people came, but when you keep them simple, it's okay if three people or one person comes and you just yeah. appreciate those that come and not put so much pressure on, I need people to show up for this activity to be classified as successful. Totally. Yeah. If one life is affected in a positive way, it's successful. Yeah. That's awesome. Any other uh, simple activities you do? I think these are fun ideas to share. Oh, well, I'm too early in. Right now, we do the beach walk on Saturdays. We do an on-base for the military on Tuesdays. They have a cooking class that they've been doing oh, cool. once a month, which is fun. A lot of people really like that because a lot of people like different things. Yeah. And then we have a few sisters that get together and they do a writing group. They're all writers. Oh, wow. And so they write together and then they read each other's writing and they give each other feedback. And, and so we have, you know probably three or four different groups that people do and they really like it and wow. it gets them together with people liking what they like. Yeah. So like you the know? cooking class, do you go over to whoever's teaching the class to their house and they yeah. they uh -huh. cook something and, and Yeah, they teach? rotate it. So it was at one person's house for a while and then they started rotating it and it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't even like cooking and I go and it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, and then you mentioned, you know, some of the, the diverse of as far as income and do you do you handle much welfare in the ward? I mean, do you have a certain process that we you do. deal with that? Uh-huh. We do. We have a bishop storehouse in Fountain Valley, which is about 35 minutes from San Clemente. Okay. And we have a few people that use those services. But I mean, the goal is for them not to stay using those services. Right. We're trying to get them self-reliant, get them jobs and get them back where they're productive again, which is good because they're happier when they're productive. Yeah. You yeah. know, no one's happy sitting around being unproductive. Or having to see the bishop again or yeah. you know, to get yeah. a food it's order. Yeah, for their confidence. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So. So that, that's an effort that you just have to keep her, keep tabs on and, and help yeah, there? Yeah, the bishop tells me what's going on. Uh -huh. And then he says, you know, this person might need some aid. Can you reach out to her and put together a food order? Uh -huh. And so I'll do that. And it's all automated. It's online now. So we just go online, pick everything up. We send it. It goes for approval to the bishop. And then it goes to Fountain Valley and then it's there waiting for us when we go pick it up. Awesome. Awesome. Anything else uh, that we haven't covered that, as far as your experience as a Relief Society president uh, that would be worth mentioning? Have we, have we covered it pretty well? I think really making sure you embrace ministering. Yeah. It is critical to that call. Yeah. Any, any tips as far as, any tips as far as uh, ministering interviews or uh, how you execute that? So the... Presidency prior to me tried a lot of different things, and it's really difficult to get people to show up for ministering interviews. So what I decided to do is to separate it out between me and my two counselors, and we all go reach out to those people, mm -hmm. and we just go see them. So they have the same people every every quarter that, mm -hmm. they're, that they're reaching out to. So. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's great. And that's been effective. You Good. know, we get, and, and if people don't respond to me, I go to their house. Yeah. 
not invasive, <laughs> not like knocking down. 11 o'clock at night. Like I'm here. Let's <laughs> I'm do coming this. In. <laughs> yeah. I, but I want them to know I care. It's really important to me. Yeah. You know, I just think a text is not, I mean, it's a last resort. Sure. A text yeah. is a last resort. And I think unfortunately ministering has, people have seen it as doing less instead of doing more. Right. A higher law rather than a yeah. yeah. And I just have been trying to preach that to our sisters. Like, we need each other. The Lord is counting on us to help each other. So please do your ministering because you're helping a family by doing it. Yeah. You're helping the Lord. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I, ministering is critical to this calling. Yeah. It would be hard to be in this calling and not care about ministering because <laughs> that's all you do. Very valid point. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, cool. This has been awesome. You know, uh, great points. And I mean, I love the, just these little things that come out of like the the birthday breakfast and the the walkabouts, like just these little things that there's a leader that's probably driving listening like, you know, that's it. Like, that's what we need to start trying to do. And it's so simple and we can do it. We can start next week, you know? And yeah. and that's, it's just that 1% difference that sometimes makes all the difference totally. in, in a lot of these uh, callings. So, I want you to just plug your your podcast one last time and then I have one more question for you. So, where where should people go? Oh, terrific. Okay. So we are on the iTunes podcast app and Spotify. You just need to search What Now Podcast, Michael and Hatch, and you'll see an image with two women, one in a red shirt, one in a gray yes. shirt. And we'll link up. to it as well. So okay, sounds can, good. Yeah. <laughs> so people will know. And then we just launched on social media platforms this last month. So you can find us at Podcast What Now. So the at sign Podcast What Now on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We have a website coming out in a couple of weeks. You can just go to podcastwhatnow.com and it'll tell you everything we're doing. It'll give you a little extra information on our guests. It will tell you a little bit about some information that we don't talk about that you might want to know about and links to things that reference our podcast. So it's a great resource. We just released our third podcast today about the single perspective in a family-centered church which is part two to our first part. And we've had almost a thousand listens in the last six weeks. We're really excited nice. about where this is going. And we hope you leave us a five-star review and comment because that really does help <laughs> does. us come up faster in the search engine. It does, yeah. So, well, cool. Last question I have for you is, uh, as you reflect on uh, your time, uh, you know, as a really site president, but also in these other leadership callings that you've had, how has being a leader made you a better follower of Jesus Christ? Oh, that's a great question. Well, how has being a leader made me a better follower of Jesus Christ? Because being a leader humbles you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and some of the best leaders I know are the most humble people. And when you're humble, you can draw closer to Christ. That's just the simple answer, really. Today, I have the opportunity to connect on the other side of the globe with Seuss Graham. How are you, Seuss? I'm doing great. Thank you. Awesome. And you are in Frankfurt, Germany, right? Yes. Yes, I am. And by the, by the sound of your name, I, I'm guessing you're not originally German. No. Where, where did you come from? Born and raised in Den- I was born and raised in Denmark. Nice. And we moved here about 20 years ago because wow. my husband works for the church and the headquarters for the church in Europe is in Frankfurt. And so we were asked to move here and we did that. Oh, that's great. And where is it that, uh, that, or what is it that he does for the church? He's in the translation department. So, so he used to actually be over the translation for the whole area for 30 plus countries or languages. Now he's more dealing with 
In yeah. Interpretation is what I was looking for. Yeah. Oh, great. So that's what he's doing. So I would imagine, did you, did you learn German when you moved there or did you know it prior? We're still learning, to be honest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we, we do learn a bit of German in school in Denmark, but German is a much harder language to learn than English. And so we thought that, oh, after a couple of years, we'll be perfect. Now we are just happy when people understand us. We know perfect is not really an option anymore. The grammar is difficult. So it's been, it's been a little bit difficult with the language. Yeah. yeah. And then what is it that you do? For, do, you do, do you work or what do you do there? So um, I now teach. I'm a language teacher, so I teach English and Danish. And it has surprised me how many people here in Germany want, want to learn Danish. It's such a small language, but I've had quite a, I have quite a few students. Oh, that's great. That's great. And since living there, you've had a variety of, of church callings that we're going to talk about. But how would you describe the, the church in the part of Frankfurt where you're at? How would you categorize or what's the demographics like? So for the first many years, we attended an international ward. There's so many foreigners in Germany, and especially in Frankfurt. And so they have an international ward, which we attended, mostly because we send our children to an international school. So we didn't feel that they should be talking Danish at home, English at school, which was a new language to them, and then German at church. So we attended the international ward with a plan to move to a German ward after a few years. But of course, you get comfortable. And mm. so... We stayed there for, for many years, but we do now attend a little German branch. So there's about 40,000, I think about 40,000 members in Germany, 14 stakes, three missions. Frankfurt is, was the Frankfurt stake was, some stakes were reorganized about five years ago. And I believe Frankfurt is the smallest stake. We have seven units, two of them are branches. When I travel to the Furthest unit, it's about an hour and a half in car, by car. That's great. So nonetheless, as far as, would you say compared to other areas in Europe, it's pretty strong place to be with the church? Yeah, I would say so. I think there are more members closer in England, for instance, but but Germany is definitely one of those places where you find, you know, more members than in some places. Nice. And did you mention before that the Frankfurt Temple, is is it under construction right now? It's closed? Yes, but the open house starts in two weeks. Oh, wow. So it's actually uh, just one week. Back. Next week. Next week. Yes. So it's been four years. It's been, it's been renovated for four years. It's taken. That was not planned, but so many problems came up that it has taken four years. And next week, there, for two weeks, there, we'll have the open house. So it's, uh, it's very exciting. We are very yeah, excited about it. And yeah. does everybody expect uh, Elder Uchtdorf to be the one that uh, comes and dedica- rededicates it, or not only expect we know that? Oh, you know, okay, he's we on the he's on the schedule. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I, I bet it's just a, such a blessing when you know an apostle can come and speak in the the native language to the saints there. I mean, it really connects them to the overall community, right? It certainly does. It certainly does, and this is where he lived for many years. He was the stake president in this area. And so he knows a lot of people personally. And yes, it, it's a totally different feeling when, when they come and they, and he speaks in, in German. The members, yeah. we all love that. Yeah. It was such a, a different experience, which we're, we're obviously spoiled here in Utah where 
I remember one time I'm driving down the street, I pull into the parking lot of a grocery store and I look at a car coming out and it's uh, Elder Suarez, you know, just, just passing yeah. apostles on, in their day-to-day yeah. life. And yeah. uh, not that it happens, you know, a lot, but it's, yeah. it, it's, it is a blessing to have him so close. And, yeah. and uh, yeah. but that's awesome for, for Germany. So you have had opportunity and currently serve as the Stake Relief Society president. Uh, what do you remember about receiving that call? What were the circumstances surrounding that? Well, we were called in, and as people always do, I guess, we members always kind of speculate what this is about. Right. And since both my husband and I were asked to come, it, it could be lots of things, but lots of things we also knew it was the state president who wanted to talk to us, so lots of things were not, you know, likely. It was a big surprise. Yeah. I thought we'd be asked to attend another unit or something like that. Wow. And were you currently in a Relief Society presidency or what were you doing before this calling? No, for about seven years, I was the, the ward chorister and I loved it. And I was also, I don't know how many years, four out of those seven years, the four years before I was called, I was also the state music chairman. But I did serve as the, Relief Society, the ward Relief Society president some years before that. Mm-hmm. And what... Was there any specific direction or encouragement that the state president uh, extended to you at that time? Well, I remember I kind of, because the language is such a, I mean, we do, I do speak German, I do understand German, but having to give talks and things like that in German was a big, big challenge. So I just kind of looked at him and said, don't you think the language is a problem? And he goes, no, (laughs) I think that's actually an advantage because then you will be listening more than you'll be talking. (laughs) Nice. That's a, that's true. And have you found that? To I be- have to remind myself of that every so often. <laughs> yeah, because I think every every leader wants to be the one. That, I mean, it's natural to sort of uh, take control, especially in meetings and conversations, and and yeah. uh, share your input and guide the the conversation. But really, this forces you to maybe uh, hold back. Yeah, absolutely. Because it takes me longer to formulate what I want to say, and yeah, so it yeah. does it does that. Yeah. So how long has it been since you've been called? It's been almost three years. Oh, okay. And do you feel like your German has improved quite a bit because of that, this experience? I think it has. I, I certainly think it has. Yeah. So, awesome. um, yeah, because I have to give talks in German. And although, so Frankfurt is, like I said, a very international area. And almost that's one thing I've noticed when I visit the units, that almost in every unit, they have someone translating into English, sometimes even Spanish. Because in every unit, there are lots of non-German speakers or non-German members, at least. Yeah. So as we do... um, Oh, go ahead. No, so I'm just saying it has also made me aware that, wow, there are lots of people out there in the same boat, so it's okay. Yeah, sure. And that's always helpful to know you're not alone in in the struggle, right? So as we do in these How I Lead interviews, I typically ask the the individual who I'm interviewing to uh, put down some leadership principles that they have uh, maybe implemented or, or learned from in their time of serving. So let's go through a few of those. Uh, one that you put is counseling with stake president as well as counselors. How has that process of counseling played a role in your service? So about a year ago, we, we got a new stake president. And I've loved to serve under both stake presidents. But the, this, the stake president that we have now, he, he's amazing with counseling. And he will counsel with the Relief Society with us about Lots of things about conference, conference themes, speakers for conference, state callings, 
who plan not all leadership meetings, but some leadership meetings and have them together. So he, he really, he really listens to the sisters and he really wants us to feel part of it and make, makes us feel part of it. Yeah. And that has been amazing. It is amazing. So, so what does the application of that look like? Does he, is, is he calling you a lot or are you invited to stake presidency meeting a lot? How does he involve he, you in that? He calls a lot. And I know exactly, I, I know I can call him anytime or send him a text and, and then he'll call me when, when, he, when it's a good time for him. Hmm. And so he may call you and just say, hey, I just, I just had, was thinking about a few things or uh, some plans we're putting yeah, in place. Exactly. What do you think? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or just call and see how are things going. Do you have anything you want to talk about? But, but a lot of times he will call and say, so, you know, we're planning this conference. Do you have any suggestions for speakers or how do you feel about this thing or that thing? So, yeah. yeah. And has there been instances where, I, and I would imagine, I mean, a, a lot of times that you, you may be given some information that is really helpful for, that adjusts his, his original plans. He says it's very helpful, at least. <laughs> he doesn't always tell me what his original plan was. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. 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 So That's um, great. Yeah. But nonetheless, there's this feeling of that he's really wants to be sensitive to your perspective and, and wants to know it. And, and whether it's in a meeting or, or just in a quick phone call, he's always reaching out for that perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's always... So let me give you another example, which is a little different. But So there is in... Um, in different areas of Germany, there are what they call inter-religious councils. So different religions get together and discuss things. I mean, I've never attended one, but later this month, there will be an intercultural cultural week, I think they call it, in, in where we have a unit of the church. And then the, the inter-religious group will, are getting together. They have a meeting in connection with this cultural week which the church is always involved in the cultural week. And so they have a prayer meeting. And this year they had asked, the, the union had asked if one from the state presidency could come and say a few words and speak the prayer. And so de they delegated that to us, the Relief Society, and asked if, if we could do that. They felt it would be good that also to show others outside the church that women, the sisters, can represent and that they have... A, apart. Hmm. And so there's just, just a, a constant effort of, of involving you in, in this process. Absolutely. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Any other, as yeah. far as outside of just like the counseling, any other ways that the, the state presidency involves the Relief Society presidency in, in the work? So I always sit on the stand for ward conferences. Oh, really? So does the young women and the primary president. So that's just a, a little way of, of doing that also, I think. And that invitation came from the stake president uh, that asked you to, to be present on the stand when in yeah, those conferences. Yeah. yeah. That's great. The, whether we are giving a talk or not, which sometimes we are, but mostly not. So he, he says, we'd like you to be up here with us so that, you know, you're visible to the members. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Mm -hmm. Anything else as far around that principle or that, uh, that perspective that that would be worth adding? Just that we try to counsel a lot. I mean, I also try to counsel with my counselors, of course. Okay. And so that we work as a team. We also work as much as possible with the high council. So, for instance, when the, when the ministering program started, 
After a while, we just the state president wanted us to go out, one from the Reef Society and one from the High Council, to each unit and train ministering interviews. So, so we do try to work a lot together. Hmm. And even on the, um, it, sorry, with the, you mentioned with the High Council. So are there, with the ministering, are there any other programs or initiatives that you work directly with the, the, high, the high Council with? So, of course, award conferences are planned through the high councillors. So it'll be a high councillor who gives us a call and say, hey, the bishop would like you to talk. Or So I can't think of not so much. It's more with the state presidency. Sure. Okay, great. That's fantastic. I think that's a, that's a, some encouraging perspective to hear. That of, of it's just, And a lot of time, would you say, it's just in the simple things, you know, even just sitting on the stand. It's not that you have to be overly involved in every aspect of the stake, but just being recognized and having that that initiative to be present and, and that you're noticed and that you're heard, right? That goes a long way. Absolutely. Yeah, it certainly does. It yeah, certainly does. Awesome. How about with uh, the next point you put is, is delegating. This is this is a tough area that a lot of leaders struggle with because, it, you know, mm-hmm. you can always do it better when you do it yourself. So how do you go about effectively delegating in your, in your role? Well, I do delegate and then I... So I find that it's important to ask them to come back, return a report, and give a date. Say, you know, can you do this before that time? And then tell me, you know, how far you got. So I think that's the most important thing. And then let them, if I've given somebody, if I give an account something to do, then let her do it her way, even though it may not be exactly how I would have done it. And that that can be difficult. But I think it's very important because you can kill any initiative if you correct or say, no, 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 we want to do it this way or, or that way. So, yeah, then, so I think that's just, an important part. Then they think, uh, well, you're, you're taking over anyway, so we'll just do it your way, right? And that really exactly. diminishes the person. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 How about, I mean, I'm sure there's instances where you give a date, you give an assignment, but that the follow through isn't there and that they, you know, drop the ball. Any, any approach on, on how to, where to go from there? I haven't found the perfect <laughs> answer to that, but just remind them and say, "Hey, we need to get this done. How are how are things looking? You know." And yeah, yeah. and I guess I, it's I try really- not. I try not to take over. I try not to do it if that happens. Yeah, and really just having that intention of that you're going to be encouraging and helpful, but just I'm not going to take over. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. How about you? Also mentioned enabling. I assume this is in a positive light. How do you enable those that uh, that you lead or those of around <laughs> in magnifying their callings? So by by giving them opportunities to do things that may be a little bit difficult, but that I know will stretch and 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 build them as well. Yeah. And to teach the right principles, to teach this. Is, so, for instance, when we go out and teach, this is how you do a ministering interview, and this is how you do this and that then give them the, the opportunity to work. So because it's such a big area and because we don't, I mean, we don't have those we minister to or even all the Relief Society sisters that you're responsible for just, to, you know, around the block, like you're doing Salt Lake. <laughs> right. So it's really a challenge. It's really a challenge. People have to travel far. It's hard to get those ministering interviews done. So it's something that almost every unit struggles with. Yeah. We've seen different ways of doing it, and some try out different ways, and, and some work better than others. Yeah, 
You know, there's the obvious, uh, you know, the phone call is, is an option now. Any other unique approaches that you found work in, in your area of the kingdom? So we had one, one ward who said of a certain day, and they said, so you're all invited to drop by the church anytime during this day. I think they were there from 8 or 10 in the morning till 8 or 9 in the evening. And they said there'll be one from the presidency all through the day. So sign up on this list and tell us when you'll come. And they even had a few snacks and then things. And, yeah. and that was actually the ward I attended at that time. So when I came, the whole presidency happened to be there, which I know they were not the whole day. So we had a very nice chat and it, it, it just felt really good because they, they had taken all day out to do this. And so I felt sure I can drive in there, even though it's, you know, a half an hour drive. I can drive in there and I can, I can do that. Yeah, I love that. And I would imagine the between, you know, if the the three of them in the presidency, you know, someone could take the morning, someone could take the afternoon, someone could take the evening or whatever, and, and they'd cover the day, right? Without That's exactly what they did. Yeah. Wow, that's great. And I don't remember how big a percentage of the sisters then signed up and came. Of course not everybody was able to come on that day, but but it was quite a big percentage as far as I remember. So I wow. think it was a a, a success. Wow, that's fantastic. Any other uh, approaches that have worked? So I know that one, one counselor in one unit, she sets up little WhatsApp groups with each little, each pair of ministering sisters and then tries to arrange the interview that way. Oh, that's um, great. Whether she then ends up calling them or meeting them on Sunday, I, I don't know. So that's that's one other way. Some try to... Just to have the secretary make appointments on Sundays for for each set of ministering sisters. Hmm. So to really course, leveraging some, technology. Yeah, of course some some have to do it by by phone. Yeah, and I'm sure there's the there's a handful that take the opportunity just on Sundays as they're at church, right before or after to to quickly yes. meet with individuals. Yes, of course. Nice. Yeah. So we sat we sat in a presidency meeting with one unit and and. They were really struggling how to do this. And it's, and then my counselor actually said to the president, well, here's your counselors. Who are they ministering to? Do a ministering interview right now. Let's hear. And she did. She spoke to her and, and, and they talked about how it went. And we said, well, congratulations, you've done it. Now go <laughs> do it with the other sisters as well. <laughs> you know, that is, that's fantastic because it, it can seem so simple and obvious, but I think it's in our nature. I don't know. Maybe it's just a, an, American, an American thing, but people resist the idea of role-playing, but research has shown the, how effective role-playing is. Like when you can train and, and show somebody through a role-play and they can mm-hmm. see it and, and experience it, that's going to do way more than just telling the individual. So I think that's super yeah. effective. And that's what we did when we went up with the high counselors. Actually, our area 70 had asked that we do role plays. Hmm. And the relief decided we had wanted to do that, but we knew the, the man didn't really want to do it. But then he said, okay, this is what I want you to do. And so we went out and had the Relief Society presidency and the Elders Quorum presidency, and we said, we're going to do a role play. And of course, we got some rolled eyes, you know, some were not so excited about it, but, but they all did it. And I think it is a big help. But of course, we, we all feel a little bit funny. Right. Having to do that. Yeah, it's like we're kids playing pretend time or something. It just something it's like uncomfortable. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was going to ask, oh yeah. So on that note, like with just ministering interviews in general, I mean, do you, I assume you do some training or mentoring with uh, ward relief society presidencies. Any advice or tips you'd give them just in the actual facilitating of that? Like when they're actually sitting down, like what questions they ask or things like that. Anything come to mind that you suggest to those presidencies? So we always tell them, you know, you're actually in a small way ministering to the ministering sister that you interview. So make sure you you see how she's doing first and make sure you, you really listen to her feelings and, and how she's doing. So, of course, that makes it take a bit longer. But we think that's important because and, and we did hear one report of or at least we talked about, I think there was a brother who said, yeah, when I had an interview, then, you know, it got checked out off on the phone right away while I was standing there. That made me feel like he was not really paying attention. Oh, so we yeah. said, go home and do that afterwards. <laughs> Listen while you, when you're there and when you talk to them. So, mm-hmm. so I think that's the, that's the main thing. And then ask about each sister. Make sure you remember what you talked about last time. Take some notes afterwards. Make sure you know something about the sister you're interviewing. Make sure you remember what she said about the sister she's ministering to last time so that you can say, okay, how is that going? And how about that? And yeah, so those are the things we tell you can actually, uh, you know, maybe take some notes so that you can, uh, you know, remember the things you talked about last time. Right. I think that goes a long way that you're actually listening. Yeah, I sure most of us need to take some notes in order to, to remember those things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Especially yeah. if you do so many interviews, they start to blend yeah. together for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always ask, I always like to ask: Are there any particular uh, electronics or tools or systems that you use in your leadership, regardless of what it's for? But any any tool or technology you use that's been really effective? In our presidency, we we do sometimes have a Zoom meeting, but because of our language difficulties, let me put it that way, it. <laughs> It works better if we sit together. So at the moment, I have a Japanese counselor and a German counselor. When I started out, I had the same Japanese counselor and a French counselor. And the French sister spoke English, but she didn't speak German. The Japanese sister spoke German, but didn't speak English. So we didn't have a language in common. Yeah, but, I, but we had a secretary who actually spoke some French. I think she was quite good in French. I can't really judge that. She spoke, she speaks French and she is German and she's perfect in English. So she would help us and translate. And my, the Japanese counselor, she said, oh, great. I've been wanting to learn English. And she just picked up on that really quickly. Although it was hard at the beginning, she has learned quite a bit of English that way. But we found out it's better if we sit down together. That makes it a little bit harder to do a Zoom meeting or something like that. But yeah. on the audication, we have done that. Yeah, sure. Um, and, then, and then we chat, you know, we do a lot of WhatsApp, just the daily, oh, you know, this has come up or this has happened or I'm this yeah. far with this project or whatever. Yeah. You know, even even without a language barrier, you know, the language dynamic that you have to... Uh, you have to uh, figure out that's wow that's uh, overwhelming i can't imagine but even even in if you don't have a language barrier finding opportunities to sit down in person i mean that's there's going to be better communication in general than even if you do something through skype or zoom or whatever it is right yeah it's always better yeah wow, it's always better when you sit down but i'd love to hear these these situations that you deal with because you know being a 
a Latter-day Saint on the Wasatch Front here in Utah. I mean, it, it just seems incredibly foreign to us to have a presidency where there's literally not a common language, you know, <laughs> there. And so, and that is, and even here, that is a bit unusual. Oh, okay. But that's just how it. That's just that's just, that's how, just how it, it worked out. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And we made it work. We were yeah. so appreciative of our secretary. I'll tell you. I bet. She did a great job. She would sit between, you know, in the right spot so she could translate back and forth when needed. Awesome. Well, any uh, before we, we close up uh, with a final question, any, any principle, thought, perspective, anything we're missing that would be worth mentioning in this uh, How I Lead interview? So I might tell you that, I don't know if it's How I Lead, but, but when we, for the four years that we didn't have a temple close by, mm-hmm. what we did was we arranged uh, temple trips for the sisters in the state. And so we would go to either the other German temple, which is about 400 kilometers, so about 250 miles away, mm-hmm. or to Switzerland. And so we get on a bus and go there and stay for just from Friday to Saturday because lots of sisters are working. And, and so this way they could take one day off and join us. And that, that proved to be a really blessing to many sisters so much that we are thinking of maybe doing it, even though our temple is now will be open and will be so close. We, we're thinking of maybe still arranging, you know, short stays where we all go and we can stay there and, and because it builds sisterhood. Yeah. That we go there together. And so really like when you, when, you know, blessings and opportunities aren't as easy as they were before, it takes a concerted effort of, of rallying and organizing people to, to still make those blessings like the temple available. Right. Certainly. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, as we wrap up, the last question I have is, as you think back at your time as a leader, uh, you know, these two years you've, you've spent serving as a stake release society president, I'm sure you've changed and developed yourself. And so as, as you've led, how has that made you a better follower of Jesus Christ? So I have seen so many great members who sacrifice and who serve and who do so much. And it has made me very humble to realize that no matter where you are, I'm sure, there are lots of very dedicated members, and there are certainly lots of dedicated members here in Germany. And I have, of course, also learned about some of their struggles and come to appreciate them even more. And maybe also in some way become less judgmental because I, I see we have so many good members. And I just, I just love the sisters in our state. That concludes my interview fantastic servants and leaders in the kingdom of God. And I I hope you learned and gathered something from that. If there is another Relief Society president or really any fantastic leader, regardless of what calling they are serving in, that you could connect me to, I would love to have you go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. And there you uh, quickly (laughs) fill out the form and uh, let me know some background. And also it's always good for you to reach out to the individual, see if they'd be open and willing to that so that I don't have to necessarily reach out to them on a cold uh, interaction, right? Where they don't know who I am or what this podcast is. And so set them up, uh, let me know, and I'd love to uh, put them on the list. And every few months we go through that list and determine who we're going to include on the How I Lead segments. And don't forget the two important events coming up, the Leading Saints Live November 16th event happening in Sandy, Utah. Go to leadingsaints.org and you'll see a place to click on 
to see uh, how to register, and then also the 2020 Leading Saints Church History Tour. You see all the details by going to leadingsaints.org slash tour. Be fun to have you there. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.